the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, we're back this week, and uh, I'm actually joined by Ryan this week. Um, Giant Ryan, thank you for uh, rejoining the podcast. I decided that I guess this was worth my time so I could grace you with my presence. That was very nice of you. I mean, to be fair, I don't think I did too poor of a job by myself. It could have gone much worse, I thought. No, I, I actually listened to it. I that's, that's mean to say because I listen to all of our... I get bored when I'm playing NHL and I don't like listening to the... Uh, the canned play-by-play commentary of Doc and Eddie, and I can't even say, like, they, EA Sports hates Pierre Maguire so much that they didn't even put him in that. They brought in Ray Ferraro for it. But, um, yeah, so I'll get bored, and I'll put on our podcasts when I'm playing that. And I listen. It was good. You spliced it all together nicely. It was, I was impressed with your technical skills. One thing that I kind of, uh, and I, I want to... That was obviously, that last podcast last week was an instant reaction, obviously, to the hitch hiring and taking some of the audio and stuff like that. But I think one way, one benefit of us recording this episode, roughly, let's see, it's been a week probably since we knew, it's been a week since we knew Lindy was going to be gone officially, and it's now been, uh, what, five days since the hitch hirings officially happened. Um I think one of the best ways to kind of judge news is to kind of see how it plays out over the next couple of days. So how have you dissected and, digre- and and looked at this hiring as opposed and how, how has it evolved in your mind since m- m- maybe it has it evolved in your mind at all since it was announced to what he said to anything along those lines? Well, it's kind of for me, it's progressed sort of like the um, the stages of depression kind of go where you're kind of just or no it's anger it's anger it's not depression where you know you're pissed off and then you generally get to dealing with it and accepting it but it's it's this progressed like that but that hasn't been the emotion because i mean we i i guess my emotion i mean people have who've listened to this for the throughout the course of the year have kind of gotten live updates on how my emotions on this have progressed throughout the last month or so because it definitely started out as kind of know what are you guys doing this is a horrible idea don't do it just because of memories of how things went the last time hitch was here and just kind of the reputation that he has as a hard ass a defensive first guy blah 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 blah. and then it kind of went to accepting it to being like oh you know maybe this won't be so bad to full-fledged like okay this could work out and it that's that that last part was definitely helped by his press conference he did and then the uh the twitter q a he did on the stars official twitter a couple days ago he's been saying all the right things since he's been hired which is good um he definitely still has a little bit of that that hard-ass hitch in him but i think he's um i don't want to say softening up a little bit but i think he's definitely understanding that he also has to evolve as a coach just with the way the game has evolved the last 10 15 years that he also has to evolve as a coach to kind of stay employed basically mm-hmm. and i i've been thinking a lot about it the last week and a half or so and it it all comes down to St. Louis it you know we talk about this defensive first side like if you're comparing 
I mean, comparing Dallas last year to anything else in the NHL is you're going to be upset about it because what we saw last year in Dallas is something that you don't see of a lot in the NHL. There have been very few teams that ran the floor the way the Dallas Stars did last year since the third lockout, I guess, if we're doing it chronologically now. There have been very few teams who've played with that sort of pace and intensity for through an 82-game season plus the playoffs the way the Stars did last year. Mm-hmm. And comparing anything to that is going to obviously be a bit of a downer. But that didn't work out for the Stars this year. And I don't know that it's... I mean, everyone talked last year about this is the way, you know, the Stars are the future of the NHL, this is the way the NHL is going. And, and it's it's yes and no, because... That style of play, while it's exciting to watch, and God, if all 30 teams played that style, there would be so many goals scored every game, and everyone would love hockey and blah, 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 blah. But the reason not everyone plays like that is because it's, it's almost like you burn out fast from it. Because you know, we have all seen the flaws with the defense the last three years, and sometimes it's just not feasible to play that way. So that was kind of my initial thought was this is going to be boring, but then you know you kind of analyze it a little deeper and you realize okay maybe it's not such a bad thing and it comes down to the fact that St. Louis really hasn't been that boring of a team under Ken Hitchcock like people talk about oh well what's it going to mean for John Klingberg and Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn people forget that he's he presided over two of the best puck moving defensemen in the NHL over the last five years in Petrangelo and Kevin Shattenkirk the last Last year, I mean, he had a bit of a down year last year, but for in terms of point wise, but I mean, there's, I mean, Shattenkirk's been a consistent forty-five to fifty plus point producer per eighty-two games throughout his career. I'm Petrangelo's been similar. I mean, he helped Colton Perico turn into what was he a fourth round pick or something like that coming out of Alaska that not a ton of people thought of was he. Third round pick. Pareko was a uh, the Pareko story is an interesting one because Pareko was not only Pareko was a third round pick and the Blues only took him because I think they got giddy and worried that somebody else might take him on his size. But like if you go and look back at the Colton Pareko story, the Blues actually scouted him when he played for like a junior when he because he, he's he came from the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, which might as well be the middle of nowhere. That's where he came from, and that's how he ended up in Alaska. But the Blues knew when they saw him once and they liked what they saw, they would intentionally scout him at places where no one else was there, and so no one would intentionally go incognito. Like, they even scouted Pareko um, at a junior tournament in Russia. He wasn't even a top 100 pick, like, uh, on Central Scouting. He wasn't even ranked by Central Scouting when the Blues took him in the third round. And basically, the only reason the Blues took him in the third round was they were worried that maybe somebody else might have taken a flyer on him just because of his size. Now, if this is a quick, I'll let you get back to your points in a minute. But if hypothetically, if if Ken Hitchcock could turn uh, either Stephen Johns or Jamie Alexiak into a Colton Pareko and put them on that career path, all of a sudden Stars fans would be would would love him. Now that I'll let you go back to your point, but that's just I'm sorry I. I uh, sidetrack the conversation about Colton Pareko for no, a second. No, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But it's just, I mean, Pete, I, it's almost that Hitch gets a bad rap mm-hmm. because you're looking at, like, well, what's it going to mean for John Klingberg? Well, honestly, it should be good for John Klingberg. People forget that Sergei Zubov was, a, I mean, the, comparing John Klingberg to Sergei Zubov is, 
is a completely stupid and foolish thing to do. But Sergei Zubov had some pretty freaking good seasons with Ken Hitchcock coaching him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's a baseline expectation, but based on his track record and guys that he's coached, I think it should be good for John Klingberg. And then you look at the offensive side of things. Vlad Tarasenko scored 40 goals last season. Like, this is not a bad offense. St. Louis was not a bad offensive team with Ken Hitchcock. Two years ago, they had, frick, what is, I'm trying to count right now, and I'm not, they had five guys, five, six guys score 55 points two seasons ago. And you're looking at, I mean, they're obviously, I mean, Tarasenko, Alex Dean, Jaden Schwartz, David Backus, TJ Oshie, these are supremely talented players. Mm -hmm. But the issue for Dallas this year wasn't talent. It has not been talent. There are talented players on this roster right now. And he did, he kind of touched on it when during his press conference that, you know, he's coming into a situation that's not a true rebuild. It's a, you do a couple things differently and this is a playoff mm-hmm. potentially legitimate Stanley Cup contender again. So I think it's going to be pretty solid. I mean, dep- I mean, it's obviously a lot depends on what they do in goal and what they end up doing with the defense. But I think that he's the right guy to get the most out of the young defensemen they have and kind of retransform the play up front, which I think kind of started to go south when Lindy started throwing Tyler Sagan and Jason Spezza all throughout different points of the lineup. Like, those are your number, those are your top two centers. That's why they were brought in. Leave them there and let the rest figure itself out. Sometimes the best thing to do is the simplest thing, and I feel like that's a really simple fix. Yeah, and I, I said it last week when I said it last week when I was kind of splicing audio through and talking about it. I think there's three I guess we'll call it three keys to uh there's three keys to making this all work, the Hitchcock hire. Because it has potential to be a could be a really good success. Um the first thing is he's saying all the right things in his press conference. He's he he has presented this image as old hitch learning new tricks and he's presented this image and uh, he's saying all the right things. And the first step to being to succeed is: does the action follow what he's saying? Is he actually gonna? Does he actually? Does his do his actions follow through with that? That's that's the first thing. Um, that's the first key to success. The second key to success is he needs to find. And I don't. He needs to find that. And he talked about it in the press conference. He needs to find. He called them coordinators. He wants to have not just assistant coaches. He wants. He was using the word coordinators. And I think part of that. Honestly, I think using the word coordinators was kind of him using a buzzword to try and play to some of the media members who only cover this team when there's a coaching hire and are usually covering football teams. But, um, and, but that's knowing his audience. So good for him on that one. But he, the other key for him with these assistant coaches or coordinators is going through. And having guys in place who can read a room and read Hitch and be able to know when his pushing and prodding goes too far. Um, if you look, if you read some, you look at some of the stories or some of the things like Mike Madonna's been, Mike Madonna's become one of the more popular media interviews now since Hitch has been rehired. And he's told multiple stories about how, how Hitch pushed and prodded him and, and he hated him at the time, but then he made him better at the end. He needs to make sure he has assistant coaches that can help whether it's pushing Tyler Sagan or if it's pushing John Klingberg or whoever, that the assistant coaches can read the situation and can tell Hitch, okay, you need to back off at this moment and you need to let it play out a little bit. Or he needs to have those assistant coaches that make it work. And the third key to making this all work, um, and I haven't even mentioned goalies or defense, but I'm just talking about the coaching work. For the coaching work is they need that the leadership group, whatever that leadership group looks like, they need to buy in and they need to 
set an example that they are going to be part of this system. Jamie Ben needs to be needs to be all in on what Hitch what what Hitch is bringing. He needs to have the rest of his leadership group needs to be in on that, and that makes it a lot easier for who knows. Say just hypothetically, say Val Nichushkin's back with the Stars next year. I wouldn't bet on it, but say he is. It's a lot easier for Val to buy a player like Val to buy in if Jamie Ben is if he goes to complain about it and Jamie Ben and Jamie Penn puts him in his place and says no, this is how we do things now. Those are the three things that I look at. That those are the key to the successes for this hire, um, and it could work really well if those things work out. And Jim Neal has to do his part. I'll just make that three A or one A, one B, whatever. Jim Neal has to do his part and give him some tools that will act, give him a goalie that we can actually trust in a big game. Right. And I think there's, uh, there's definitely something to be said for hitch with goalies. Cause I think we're all expecting a defensive improvement. I think kind of one of the red, I, and it's, it's so difficult to, to kind of diagnose because obviously I wasn't in the blues locker room and I don't know how at all kind of played out, but I mean, obviously Jake Allen sucked for a grand portion of this year Mm -hmm. and whether or not that was just mental on his part, or if it was a mixture of mental and the coach continuing to poke at him and making it worse. But it's almost for me, it's kind of a remarkable coincidence that Jake Allen started to turn around soon after Hitchcock got fired. The other, and that's kind of that's a little bit of a red flag for me. It's red, and it's I red, get it's, that it's not. It is. It, it is a red flag. But you also got to remember when they let him go, they fired the goalie coach and they made Brunor the goalie coach. And who knows? That's you know, true. And so, I mean, I don't know for that. That could be a red flag that Hitch left and, and the goaltending improved. The other question is, how much was it on the goal on the goalie coach too? Um, that that's just that's just just a counterpoint to. Because I think it was Jim Corsi, right? Who was the the goalie? It was Jim Corsi. Yeah. It was Jim Corsi. So that's that's true. I didn't think of that angle. So that was real. I mean, that's just my thoughts on it. And I mean, I think everyone is in agreement that if the goaltending duo is back in its present form next season, then things probably aren't going to change too much. But the question becomes, how do you fix it then? Yeah, it's. And, that, and that's on Jim Nill because we can we can talk about coaching all we want, but this now we are we are reached the stage of we've reached the stage of Jim Nill's tenure in Dallas where he's made the splashy trades, he's made the big moves that can excite. And I mean, we think of the July Fourth trade for Tyler Sagan, he traded for Jason Spezza, he traded for Patrick Sharp, trades that he can make those big name trades. Um, but can he maintain success? Can he? We, we've reached the point where. And I know people have asked me, is Jim Nill on the hot seat? Jim Nill's not on the hot seat per se. I think hot seat's the wrong word. But anytime a coach anytime the GM is on his second coaching hire and he's missed the playoffs two out of the first four years, he has to show that he is worth all the praise he's been given. Right. I wouldn't saying that person X is on the hot seat kind of implies imminent departure but I definitely think that this becomes a make or break off season for Jim Nill because you make the right right moves this team gets back to the playoffs and all of a sudden you're looking good again you make another erroneous goaltending move and you're out on the outside looking in and all of a sudden you've only made the playoffs two out of your five years here (laughs) then you're going into next season where people are starting to ask questions like okay you did some good stuff but 
how much of that was just you kind of capitalizing on favorable circumstances versus how much of that was you actually with a tangible plan? Because if you look back at it, when Sagan got traded, that, I mean, we've seen the, I mean, a lot, I feel like a lot of people have seen the, uh, that show the Bruins do behind the beer, whatever mm-hmm. they call it, those meetings about Sagan where they're just trashing his personality and he's not a right fit for the Bruins and he's a partier and blah, 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 blah. Clearly they were trying to move him for some dumbass reason. And that was apparently the dumbass reason. But when Spezza was, when the Sens were trading Spezza, he had no trade protection. And I'm pretty sure he was down to just Dallas and Nashville. Or he was, they had a deal with Nashville and he said he didn't want to go to Nashville. So then Dallas became the, uh, the team that he got sent to because Ottawa didn't want to keep him in the division or the conference or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they were, so, and obviously the return that he gave for Spezza was awful. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, what was it like a second round pick plus Nick Paul and Chason, who's on the flames now. And Nick Paul's kind of just been yeah, Nick Paul's been eh. man. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he, I mean, fleeced two trades to be sure, but he was also dealing from a position of high leverage mm-hmm. too. So you're looking at another off season where if the proper moves aren't made, people are going to start asking questions saying, you know, are you really all that you're cracked up to be? It's wor- which is unfair, I think, but that's kind of to be determined at this point. It's it's you see, he's made all the flashy moves. He's made all those moves that we that people get excited about, and the moves that get talked about po- positively on social media. He's like everyone looks at. Oh well, and, and I'd even put that Klingberg contract just taken like when, when he when he saw what Klingberg did in one year, and then made the made, worked out the deal for Klingberg's extension. That was a. Uh, that was a deal that uh, if Klingberg turns into what people think John Klingberg can turn into, that's a hell of a steal for the stars. Um, so he's made those flashy moves, but we need to see the substance to can he build a winning team that competes and actually is a playoff team every year, not a flash in the pan. And Because right now, if we look at the stars, and I know Hitchcock even at his press conference said, I look at what they did the year before and everything like that, but we're still looking at in the past three years, they've only made the playoff once in the past three years. So you have to you have to go through and you have to basically see, can there be substance where you can build a consistent playoff team? Um, I mean, people, I know people would always, uh, a guy who actually is on the hot seat right now, his former boss in Detroit, in, um, in Ken Holland, Ken Holland had made a living when he when the Red Wings were good. He made those flashy moves, but you think about the Red Wings holding that sustained success for twenty plus years. They also had those simple moves. They they also had the sustenance and they built around that. And that's what they need to do in Dallas now. And they've got some good tools for it, but you need to find those pieces, the piece X, piece Y, this 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 summer in the off season to figure out can you be a successful GM in that regard. It's not just acquiring goal scorers. Right, it's kind of funny you mentioned Ken Holland because I just read a long article about the the di- calling it the dynasty that ate itself, mm-hmm. and it basically talks about how Ken Holland is an awful cap era GM because he's loyal to his veteran role players. That you, I mean, it's which is it's nice to it's a, I'm never going to say loyalty is a bad thing, but in that sin- instance when you have bottom six guys making almost four million dollars against the cap you're kind of like dude what are you doing mm-hmm. and they got a lot of dead money basically not dead money in the sense that well they do have a lot of dead money because Johan Franzen's never playing a professional hockey league game again Cronwall's heading in that direction 
they have a lot of dead money on that roster tied up in guys who just aren't very good. And, you, you know, you talk, you mentioned the flashy move, but, you know, he kind of missed a couple tap-ins last offseason, letting Colton Sevier and Verdon Fiddler mm-hmm. walk. And, I'm, I mean, he let four guys go defensively if unrestricted, and I'm not going to say that that was a mistake because I think that if you look at the money those guys got on the open market and what they're actually bringing to their current teams, I can't really sit here and say that bringing any of those guys back for the term or dollar amount that they wanted would have been a good idea. In fact, you know, if you look, he brings back Goligoski and Jason Demers and they don't pan out. He gets hammered for that too. Like, Oh, you just sunk nine years and $10 million against the cap into these two pylons. But it, it, a lot of this year kind of goes into just kind of how that unfolded too. I mean, obviously the Chris Russell trade was bad and it ended up being worse because he went unrestricted at the same time. He already had three other guys going unrestricted two other guys. Cause I guess they brought Jordy Ben back, mm-hmm. but I like, I like, I can't sit here and say that letting each of those players walk was a bad decision because I would have done the same exact thing. But when you're, when you have to, when you do that all at the same time and you have to break in, in almost in a, you know half your defensive core is new that just that's you're not set up for you're not setting your team up for success in that regard so it, he kind of it, it kind of was unfortunate how it played out but i don't know what the point i was trying to make here well i think i, I, it, I think with the defense cuz it's like one of those things where you can't it's like you can't make the right move yeah. because if you bring two of those guys back then it's going to look awful in 3 years when I mean, it arguably could have looked awful this year, but it's going to look bad a couple of years down the road when they're starting to lose their game. But if you let them all walk, then you get what happened this year. I maintain one thing that I think could have been in the offseason. They could have handled, and it would have made... And I don't care, and I know, I know sometimes it's... They got too greedy with their young defensemen, and we've talked about the eight defensemen for a long time and everything like that. But I think... Even if you had just, if he had taken the name Stephen John, I mean, he wouldn't have been Stephen Johns because he recently traded, but if he had taken the names Jamie Alexiak, Patrick Nemeth, if he had taken Jamie Alexiak and Patrick Nemeth and put their names on a board and flipped a coin and said, okay, whichever one comes up, whichever one loses the coin toss, I'm trading away for a conditional pick. I don't care who. I know I know people would have been, there's Alexiak fans and there's Nemeth fans and there's people who would have been pissed about either of them. But had he just gotten rid of one of them and gotten it down to seven, I believe I believe all of the younger defensemen would have been better. There wouldn't have been this mentality of I sh- there wouldn't Stephen Johns. I think Stephen Johns walks down the street if he sees something go over a ledge, he gets scared he's going to be benched because he shoots. <laughs> because Stephen Johns was Stephen Johns would shoot the would shoot a puck out of play, and he would be he would sit for six days. I mean now. If Jim Nell had flipped a coin before the season started and said, okay, I'm going to get rid of Alexi Akronemeth, just one of those two, or, or, or another young defenseman, just one. And I know people wouldn't have liked getting rid of a young defenseman at that point, and, and, but I think it would have made of all the other ones better, honestly, if you had just gone back and given, created an environment. Because you know you have a coach in Lindy, and you had a coach in Lindy Ruff, who didn't, who, who was going to ride with his veterans, and he was going to create a very thin ice, pun completely intended, situation for his young players. And by just getting rid of one, it would have created less of a logjam. And then obviously it just got worse as Honka as Honka came up. Things like that. You just you just set yourself up to be in a spot where 
young guys were in a, in a point where, okay, well, Stephen Johns, Stephen Johns is now thinking every time he makes a mistake. Stephen Johns was playing not to make a mistake. Jamie Alexiak was playing not to make a mistake. They weren't playing hockey to play hockey. They were playing not to make a mistake. And I get that you don't want to give up on a young defenseman for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, especially when you consider that it's very rare that a guy under 25 makes a huge impact in the NHL on the blue line. But you're absolutely right because when we talk early in the year how, you know, Patrick Nemeth gets hurt and that's a year of wasted development and then he's stuck in the press box for much of the year and that's another year of wasted development. It's the same thing. You're fostering, you're fostering this mentality of, well, you know, if I don't do this right, then I'm not going to play the next night. You can't have guys looking over your shoulder. It's like this might be a pun, a pun, not a pun. It might, this might be a comparison that goes over everyone's head, but it was the same thing with Notre Dame football this year, where Brian Kelly wouldn't commit to a starting quarterback to start the year. So by the time he finally does commit to a starting quarterback, you have Deshaun Kaiser looking over his shoulder at every opportunity, every interception he throws or every bad throw he makes. And a couple times he got yanked, and he shouldn't have been yanked. And it's the same thing as this. You have these guys looking over their shoulder, and you just said it perfectly. You're playing not to make a mistake. Mistakes happen, and... They happen more frequently with young players. That's a part of sports. It's always been a part of sports. It's always going to be a part of sports. And you have to use those mistakes as teaching moments. And not. And the, the lesson you don't want to instill is you made a mistake, so you're not playing. Because then that just screws up everything. And that's kind of what ended up happening. Yeah, it's... It's a tough... I mean, that's there's a lot on Jim Nil here because he has to... The defensemen, the goalies, this summer is about Jim Nill, and we've, we, I don't know how many more times we can say it, but this is about him kind of fixing some of the mistakes he's made. Because obviously Jim Nill's done a great job. He's taken this franchise, and he's, he's, he's done a great job in getting this team to this level. But they need to be able to, to get to the next level and be a consistent playoff team and a team that actually you, you worry about all the time. That's what he needs to be able to do. Um, and it's it's... The other thing is, you know what? Maybe they've got the space to do it. Like I was looking at it, and I like I was looking at, and I don't know if he'll if he'll be available because, say, I mean Washington's down two to one in the series right now. But what if he can make a big splash this summer and sign T.J. Oshie as your right wing to come in and play with? Because Ken Hitchcock has said he wants to make Tyler Sagan the top line center, and I know Stars fans were very happy when they when he said that, and I think that's this team is better when Tyler Sagan is your top line center. Um, when Tyler Sagan is a center and not playing right wing and lollygagging. Lollygag, I mean, honestly, Tyler Sagan being center and having someone telling him to play in all situations is, is great for Tyler Sagan and the Stars. But Jim Nill can make a splashy move this summer and sign T.J. Oshie, and all of a sudden your top line your top line is Ben Sagan-Oshie. That becomes a very dangerous top line. He can do something like that, but if he doesn't do anything to help resolve the defense or do the goaltending you're stuck in the same problem. All offense, no defense. So you need to, we need to see both. I'd be fine with a flashy move. We also need to see that move of signing, signing, finding maybe whether it's trade, whether it's uh, or free agency, whichever route you go. There's just a lot of options, and there's a big window with the expansion draft because there'll be more moving parts because of that. You need to solidify on the back end, even it, and, and if you can get better offensively, but you need to solidify in the back end. That's, I don't know how many more times I can say that.
ideally, I mean, speaking of Washington Capitals, swinging a move and getting Shattenkirk would be nice, but I think the consensus is he's staying in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. But, it, and you, we talk, you go along the same lines of not trading guys for 50 cents on the dollar. You look at the year that all these guys had now, and we're, I think, I, we can agree that at least one, if not two of these guys is not going to be here. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Next year. Correct. And now you're looking at a situation where you torpedoed a lot of their value. You know, maybe before the season, if you say, hey, I'll trade you Jamie Alexiak or Patrick Nemeth for so-and-so, maybe you get a third or conditional second-round pick just based on potential. Now, I don't know a GM that's going to give you the fourth-round pick for either of these guys. I mean, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. I'm sure you could probably get You can get a fourth-round pick for Jordy Ben. You can get a fourth-round pick for Jamie Alexiak. But... It, you're just you're not you're now you're instead of fifty cents on the dollar it's going to be thirty five cents on the dollar because you know none of these guys were particularly impressive this year and now they're a year older and a year more that that's just another year of wasted development basically so it's, that's kind of my that becomes my gripe with that then it's interesting on defense and this is something that. I don't want to overread it. I don't want to overread into. It. I don't want to overread into it because it's something where I could be overreading into it. But did you find it interesting that Dan Hamhuis was one of the four players that attended the presser? Yes, I did. Because that I mean that it was Hitchcock spoke. Uh, I don't know which player he still had left to speak to, but at at the press conference on Thursday, he said on Wednesday before he had spoken to all of the players except one so far. Um, and he was still had to talk to one more. And he talked in that press conference about, hey, I need my leaders to be on this team. I need my leaders to be strong on this group, and I need my leaders to lead by example. So that tells me that in that conversation on Wednesday, the group that was there, Jason Spezza, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, and Dan Hamhuis, those are the players Hen- Hitchcock looks at as, these are the leaders, this is my leadership group. That was very telling to me. And I, I might be... I might be overreaching on this, and I might be overreacting to that, but had if, if there was another player that he said, said, hey, I want you in this leadership group, be at the press conference, they probably would have been there. So I just, am I overreading into him just being at the press conference? I, 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 am I just... Overreading in what regards? That he wants Ham used to be here long term, or that John Klingberg wasn't there? Is that? Oh, we can, I feel we, like we, that's kind of what we, you're we, getting at. I'm, I'm, re- I'm getting to two things. A, that Klingberg wasn't there. Um, which, you know what, maybe that's something where maybe he was the player he still had to talk to, and maybe Klingberg, and it was just announced today, Klingberg is going to play for Team Sweden at the World Championship. So maybe Klingberg had other things he was going on then. But Well, I was going to say, I feel like it's likely that after the season ended, he probably went home to Sweden for a little yeah. bit. Unless you can confirm that he was still in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the time. I can't, I can't confirm that. But it, but my point being with him is it's interesting that he's part of that leadership group. And it's also interesting, too, just because it adds to the conversation of, is Hughes protected in expansion? Um, I mean, who else would they protect on defense? I mean, well, I mean, again, I know the conversation has been Klingberg, Essa Lindell, and then player... Oh, that's a good point because to this point, the debate has been Steven Johns versus Jamie Alexiak and kind of just assuming that you weren't going to protect Dan Hamus. I see where you're going now. Okay. So does, I don't know. Because, because, because Nil had said to me, because Nil has said that he loved talking hockey with Hitch. Hey, here we go. This is, uh, 
reporting right here, John Klingberg. When did, when was Hitch hired? Uh, April last. It was officially announced last Thursday, so the thirteenth was the day it was hired. April fourteenth, John Klingberg was in Sweden. Okay, just based on his tweeting a picture of Game Seven of from Frölunda in the Swedish Elite League. Okay, so there you go. That makes that makes sense then. Um, and plus, he had to go back to Sweden for because he's going to play the World Championships. But from the expansion a- aspect, Nil has said that he's going to pick Hitch's brain. He want he likes Hitch's hockey brain. He wants him after he finishes coaching here and after he finishes coaching in Dallas, he's going to become a consultant for the team. Um, and so he's going to be part of that conversation. If Hitch goes and says, "You know what? I think Dan Hamhuis is going to be a leader that makes this hire work best," you need to protect him. Are we looking at a spot where all of a sudden there's no debate between Alexiak and Johns anymore, and they're both going to be exposed? This is just—I don't have a—I don't have—I'm just throwing ideas out there right now. See, that's uh, that—that's potentially one way to alleviate your defensive logjam problem is just be like, all right, we can't decide which one of these guys that we want to keep, so we're just going to let Vegas take one of them for us, assuming that that's the route Vegas chooses to go with their. Uh, their pick from the stars which would seem to indicate that they figure out a way to uh deal with their issues up at forward which i think we're both kind of leaning towards now that means they're trading cody eakin Mm -hmm. which is another conversation we can get into in a second but if both those guys that could be their way to do it is all right here's both of them take one yeah i mean if if hitch if hitch is gonna and the other thing and this is just, if you're talking about mind games, if neither Johns or Alexiak are protected and they're still both still here, just hypothetically, all of a sudden there's no pecking order. It's like, well, look, here's our three. You guys are playing for that fourth spot. Just Right, exactly. <laughs> so, interesting. That isn't, that'll be, uh, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah. So, Cody Eakin, I think you touched on the next thing we were going to. Cody Eakin, who is... Uh, and I touched on this a little bit last week when I did the solo pod, and I wrote a little bit. Uh, I wrote a little bit about it this week in, in last week's mailbag, but and I don't have any insight or any official source or anything telling me anything like this. But I just get a hunch and a feeling that Cody Eakin is going to be dealt because if Hitchcock is committed to having Sagan as his number one center, you have Spezza, you have Spezza as your second center, you have Foxa there, you have. You're not going to pay your fourth-line center what Cody Eakin's making. Your fourth-line center can be either Devin Shore if you want to be the fourth-line guy, or you could put Devin Shore higher in the lineup as a right wing, or that fourth-line center could be Jason Dickinson, or it could be Adam Cracknell. Or it could be... Don't see a spot anymore for Cody Eakin on the team if your centers lay out the way they're supposed to, and they go Sagan, Spezza, Cracknell. I mean, sorry, Sagan, Spezza, Foxa, young guy slash Cracknell for the fourth line. Right, we just talked about this with Ken Holland. You're giving your bottom six guys almost $4 million a year against the cap. And if, and I think that this team is at its, I mean, we've, I've, I think we're, we're both, we're in agree in agreement on a lot of things regarding this team, but we're in agreement that your top two centers need to be Sagan and Spezza. And I think at this, I'd rather have Fox out there as the third line center than Cody Eakin. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, you're not going to play Cody. Eakin. I mean, th- but then it becomes if Fox is, Restricted this offseason, right? Yeah, he's that's why Fox. Uh, I, I know, I know, I'm going to get that question. The reason Fox is not going to the world, uh, the world championships, because he doesn't technically have a contract yet. So he's he's, yeah, no, so, he's an RFA. So he's going to so he's going to get a raise 
you'll get a pretty decent raise. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that becomes a situation where it's either, it'd either be him or Egan being your third line center. And I don't think that I'd want my third or fourth line center assuming. Okay. Let me rephrase. Let me back up here. So I'm assuming Fox gets somewhere between 1.7 and 2.2 million next year. Is that fair to assume? I had him. I had, or am I overshooting? I had him penciled in, and like when I, when I when I went to the legal pad the other day, I had him penciled in as two, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's lower or higher. But one point seven, that I had him kind of penciled in as two as the ceiling, as I thought. Um, but that's that's fair. One point seven to two point two. You said I, I could be. I could. Neither of those numbers would surprise me. Okay, so then. If we're if you're operating under the assumption that you're going to play Devin short wing and then your four centers are going to be Eakin, Sagan, Spezza, Fox, and not necessarily in that order, just because I said Eakin first doesn't mean I think he should be the top line center. So please don't freak out on me, Stars fans. I don't know that I'd want my fourth line center making one point seven mm-hmm. or two. I that's a situation where I'd want like a guy like Cracknell or a guy that you call up like a guy like Devin Shore who's going to be making who's still on his entry level contract so who's going to be making a nice cool seven hundred fifty or whatever or Jason Dickinson just from a, or Jason Dickinson yeah or Jason Dickinson exactly that's the fourth line center is a spot where I would want either a young guy on his entry level contract or on his second contract where he didn't get a huge raise off of his first contract like Fox is going to get not a huge raise but. You know what I mean, who's still making mm-hmm. under one point five. That's just from an from an economics standpoint, I that's where what I would want. I wouldn't want my fourth line center making two million dollars against the cap. So it becomes then as far if I were if I were Jim Nill analyzing the situation, it becomes to who do I think is better for the stars, Radic Fox or Cody Egan? Who do I think I can get more? I you well, I sh- I shouldn't put it that way because you could probably get more for Radic Foxa, but Cody Egan's still not a bad trade chip. Because there's a lot of teams in this, especially with 23 new jobs about to come up. There's going to be a lot of teams looking for a good quality third line center who can kill penalties, potentially play some power play time if they need him. And Cody Eakin will fit that bill for a lot of teams. And I think so. I think that's still a valuable trade piece. And Cody Eakin's market and the value in the market. I know Stars fans are going to look at his. There's two ways to look at it. There's going to everyone's going to look at Cody Eakin as a good defensive center. People that is Cody Eakin's perception across the league. Cody Eakin is a good defensive center. Now there's going to be two different camps of perceptions from GMs across the league. And let's say it's 15-15, just for numbers' sake. Just there's going to be 15 that look at his goal totals and point totals this year and say, all right, well that's who he is. But then there's going to be the other half of the league who are going to look at that and say, you know what, this is a buy low cash in high moment because this is a guy who's going to he's not going to score just three goals next year he's going to be it was it was a bad season he had an injury from the start and that's the the Cody Eakin Jim Neal needs to be selling when he's making these phone calls right and it's not that necessarily and you know the other GM is going to be like come on Jim you're trying to sell me a guy who just scored three goals who was hurt blah 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 because I mean that's what you have to do if you're other GM you got to drive the price down but and that's and you mentioned his perception around the league, and it's probably a good thing that the majority of people in power and hockey positions are still quote unquote traditional hockey guys because Cody Eakin is a guy that I feel like a lot of traditional hockey people like just because he's gritty, he plays a good defensive game, two way game, and his possession numbers may not be the strongest, but there's still value to face offs and blah 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 blah. It's it's I it's 
Let's see, because they have to make the, uh, it's April 18th today, May, so we're roughly two months from the expansion draft roster actually being out. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a move within a month maybe, because it's something where um, I don't think Cody Eakin will end up going to one of the teams playing in the final four, in the Stanley, one of the final four teams left in the playoffs. But if you're, if another team that is looking for, say a team gets knocked out, I don't. Here's an example. Say Washington. Say Washington loses this round to Toronto, and all of a sudden just continues to have that perception of being a choking playoff team. And they look at like you know what we want to uh, we want to get a little bit better in our bottom six, or we 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 want to not our bottom six. We want to get we we want to bolster up our center depth. So let's we like what Cody Eakin can be. And I know Cody Eakin already played for Washington in the past, so this may be a bad example. But if they get knocked out of the playoffs now. The talks for a trade like this could happen within the next two weeks. Yeah, that's true. And um, I, for the people who don't think that Cody Eakin would get selected by Vegas in the event he doesn't get traded and gets left unprotected, you know who drafted him. George McPhee. Exactly. So that's a guy who knows Cody Eakin well. Yeah, and it's... Uh... I mean, I, I, it's it's. I'd argue that Cody Eakin being selected is the uh, second biggest lock if he was left exposed, other than uh, of guys who could actually legitimately be exposed as 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 Val. If Val was left exposed, obviously we've talked about Val being an obvious one who would be taken if left exposed in the draft. Um, speaking of Val, I want to transition real quick to uh, touched on it a minute ago with we were talking about Klingberg and World Championships and stuff like that. Um, from a prospect looking to the future side of things, world championships are actually could be kind of fun if three guy if three guys actually make the roster because uh, we already know Roussel is going to play for France at world championships. We know Klingberg is going to play for Sweden. Um, now Hanka is in camp with Finland, and I wonder if that's just lip service right now to say he's not on the roster just because I I don't I don't. I've looked at that roster. I just don't see how he doesn't make the team. And maybe it's just they're trying to, they're just given the perception that he has to make the team. Um, and then also going to join the Finns in camp will be prospect uh, Rupe Hintz, who I'm very interested and excited to see play against real, uh, against, not real, but play against competition I can kind of watch in a real stream that's easy for me to watch <laughs> right. against grown men. I think. Uh... I think Worlds is going to be super interesting this year, particularly from the Canada and U.S. Well, all the soon, not as much from the Russia side because Russia has obviously their own pool of talent playing in a men's professional league that's not going to be impacted by the NHL's Olympic decision. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see what a lot of these big countries do with their rosters in preparation for the Olympics without NHL players next year. I think you're going to see a lot of, like, I know I saw two, three days ago that Anders Bjork from uh, Notre Dame is going to play for U.S. at Worlds, which... That was interesting to me. Seems, to, Yeah, it seems to indicate that he's not going to sign with Boston. Because if he was going to sign with Boston, I was, I'd assume he would have done it already. But I feel like, I mean, USA Hockey has done this a lot the last four or five years where they'll bring in a couple of, like, one or two, two, three college guys and have them play at Worlds. They did it a couple years ago with uh, Danny Cristo, Jacob Truba, um... Then whoever the I can't remember his name off the Don't, top of my head. The dude who won uh, the Hobie from St. Cloud oh, a couple years ago was it Dow? I think it might have been. No, it was LeBlanc. I think it was Drew LeBlanc. Drew LeBlanc. And don't they typically carry 
the the third goalie is typically a, a college goalie, right? Either a college or an O eight or a major junior guy, because that's what they they did that with uh, with Jack Camp because Jack Campbell went to Worlds one I think after his final year at the OHL well, and he Jack also went actually during after an AHL year but that was because it was a down because yeah. there were so many American right. goalies in the playoffs but that that was why for right. that situation and then um let me uh I need to look up hold on I have because they did um because they brought Gibson mm-hmm. uh it would have been four years ago now because that was the sur- summer I started working at USA Hockey and I wrote and that was the year they won he led him to bronze um, kind of improbably. Mm-hmm. So that would have been 2013, which was after his last year in Kitchener when he played one AHL game and then he went to Worlds and won the U.S. of bronze. So yeah, they'll usually bring in a third guy just for shits and gigs, basically, so they get experience. But it'll be interesting to see what these big countries end up doing with their rosters as they try to prepare for the Olympics because that was a big caveat and pass for USA Hockey to get guys to show up for Worlds was in the Olympic year saying, hey, if you show up for Worlds, this will help you. Mm-hmm. This will help you when we're when we're picking our Olympic selection camps. They don't have that caveat this year. So, and I mean, obviously college guys are going to be excited to go do that, but from a strategic standpoint, it'll be interesting to see what they do and what route they kind of go for building their Olympic roster. I was thinking... Um, one thing that was interesting to me that I hadn't thought about yet, and we've talked all about players in Olympics and players that might go. Um, what about, and this is something that I don't think has been covered nearly enough, who are going to coach these Olympic teams? Because think about the coach, like... Probably college guys, maybe. Like, college or AHL coaches. Does the Well, they say the NHL is not going. Does that mean that AHL players can't go too? The AHL is not going to take a break, but the AHL... I know I've talked to a couple people in the know on this. The AHL is not going to take a break, but the AHL is not going to have a blanket statement that you can't go. Basically, it's going to be a player-by-player decision. Gotcha. Um, so, like, guys on AHL contracts are probably would be more than able to go, and then guys who are on NHL contracts, it's probably up to them to negotiate and figure out with their NHL team if they're okay with it. Because if you had a, like, if you were, uh, say, say, for example... Say Honka wasn't going to be ready for the NHL next year, just hypothetically. He will be, but say Honka wasn't ready for the NHL, I would love to see my prospect playing in the Olympics if he wasn't going to be ready. Yeah, exactly, because that's a huge, obviously a huge developmental opportunity. For yeah, and so the AHL is going to be more case-by-case. Case. And so I guess with – I look at it where – so you're not going to have NHL and AHL coaches available to coach Canada and the United States. Um so do you have, do you go to the college route? I mean, maybe, uh, or maybe, you know what? <laughs> he just retired. Maybe Red, maybe they give Red Berenson the, the, the Team USA coaching job. He's, oh, man, that would be funny as hell. I'd love that. Yeah. Because they, they do that with World Juniors, too. They'll have a, the guy will leave his college team for a couple of weeks to go do that. I feel like they'd either be junior guy or uh, college guys or AHL guys. Because, I mean, you're not going to get the Mike Babcocks, the world coaching Team Canada, like he's done for the past two Olympics, because obviously... Oh, exactly. Because the NHL's not going to take a break, and so they're not going to be... <laughs> do you see the, uh, speaking of coaches building international success, do you see Ralph Kruger's in the conversation to be the Oilers coach? Not the Oilers, the, yeah, uh, sorry, the, the Canucks funny. coach? Yeah, I did. That's pretty funny. I don't know why... 
coaching what Premier League soccer or something like that right now? He's not the coach. He's like the head of the uh, like he's the he's basically the president of operations and like does both things on the business side and the player management side. So he, he's not actually coaching, um, but he's in management now. I don't know why. I don't know why you would leave. I don't know why I would ever leave a cushy job, somewhat cushy job with the type of money you're making in European soccer for the situation the Canucks have. I don't know why you would do that, but it's because the Canucks are... Because you hate yourself. Yeah, well, cause, yeah, the Canucks are not set up to succeed no matter who the coach is there next year. Okay. Yeah, so... I mean, I think it's, it's a good... It's, That'll be interesting to see. It's a good story, but it, it's it's not a good thing when... Uh, who's the kid from North Dakota? Uh, uh, Besser? When when he when he finish when yes. he finishes his yes. when he finishes his college career and can play a back to back and is still the Canucks best player, <laughs> that's not a good sign for your team. Right. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, there's a lot that's there's just this is a really intriguing off. Se- I mean, obviously from a star's perspective, this is a really intriguing off season, but. Just in the hockey world in general, it's a, there's just so much going on that I'm excited for. Yeah, the other thing that's going to be fun to watch, and just from we're talking from a stars perspective, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how I'm really. And we talked on it earlier with Hitch earlier in the podcast, but I'm still really interested to see what route they go with these assistant coaches because. I know Kurt Fraser is going to get in an interview for the job. I don't think he's going to be back. I, I just think I think it's one of those where Nil is giving him an interview out of loyalty. I think um, I don't know that for a fact, but that's my hunch. Um, I'm really interested to see where these assistant coaches go because I think that'll tell us quite a bit more about how the power play and the penalty kill will look like. That that's that's the thing I'm really interested to see to see how the dichotomy of this team kind of comes together as we see things uh, go forward right now. For sure. It'll be fun. Like these playoffs have been. Yeah. Talk about that. What was it? Four uh, four playoff overtime games last night? All four went to OT. I went to bed when uh, both Nashville and Anaheim were down two. And I woke up. I'm like, oh, I wonder what those finals ended up being. And I, I like, woke up in the middle of the night, or I thought I woke up in the middle of the night, and I... Pretty sure it was just a dream, and I was like, "Oh, Chicago won five to three. and I'm like, "What?" And then I woke up and looked, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, I see." Yeah, it doesn't. I didn't even watch. I didn't get to watch the first like three or four days of the playoffs because I couldn't because NBC Sports wasn't working on my computer. I stole my parent. I did by steal. I mean, I asked my parents what their Comcast login was because I don't have cable. So I was going to watch it on that, and it, the video would pull up to the page, but the video would never play. And I don't know if it's my Flash player or what, but it never told me what the issue was. But uh, I got it up and running on my iPad the other day, so I've been uh, been tuned in, and it's been fun. It, do- it doesn't look like the Stars' uh, conditional pick for Oduya is going to turn into a third. Um, no, probably not. But uh, that Eves one's looking pretty Yeah. Looking like a pretty decent chance. It is. What Did, uh, did you ever get a chance? I know you said you didn't watch it live, so obviously... Did you ever get to see the goal that Nashville scored to tie it on the on the goalie interference call? Yeah, I did. That should have been goalie interference. I don't care. I know you don't care. If the goalie comes out of his. I mean, the goal. I, I, I know that there's contradictory rules in the rule book about dealing with it, but and I know you're gonna side with the goalie, 
and I'm going to side with the forward just because of our backgrounds. But if I get it, if it's in the crease, that's the goalie's space, and that's fine. And you should know you have to be aware as a player when you travel through the crease that if you touch the goalie, that they're nine times out of ten going to side with the goalie. But the space in front of the crease, when you're out of the blue paint, that space is fair game. And if Corey Crawford wants to come out that far to make a save, he's perfectly within his right to, just like player X is perfectly within his right to stand there. And if Corey Crawford, if they make contact and it was deemed to be incidental contact, then I'm fine with how they ruled it. Yeah, it, I think the, the bottom line of it is, I would have called goal interference on it, but the bottom line of it is the rule, obviously. It's, it's one of those things where... It needs to be better written, frankly. That's that's really one of the things. It needs it, right, it needs right. to be better written. We all agree on. I think everyone can agree on that. Um, I think the. I, I think if you, I, I am not for making goalies fair game. I don't think that's smart. But I, if I look at the rules now and I see goalie interference there, but. If you wanted to up scoring in the NHL, you could make it black and white that the goalie is. There's no goalie interference if he's outside the crease. Just hypothetically, I don't know. I'm just, but I just look at the way the rules written. I saw interference, but that that's how I look at it. Now I don't know if I'd like that rule, but just you think about raising score and all of a sudden you make the blue paint an area that if the goalie is out of the blue paint, if he's bumped and jostled, that's his own fault for being out of the blue paint. Right. I have would I more so had a problem with uh, the penalty that gave Ottawa a power play in overtime, but I guess. If you're going to punch a guy after you get hit, then you're going to get called. You're, they always get the retaliatory hit, and not always the first hit. It's true. That's true. Well, that's uh, that's all I've got for today. You got anything else? Uh, not that I can think of. I just wanted to do a podcast because I just had thoughts on Hitch, and I kind of wanted to talk about the playoffs a little bit. I was jonesing for it's been it's been almost two weeks for me. I've been jonesing for a podcast. Yeah, it's always. And, and you know what? We have listeners who Jones who are always Jones for podcasts too. Um, if you are listening, please rate and review and everything like that in the in iTunes or like on SoundCloud. I think that's what you do there. Um, I'd like to get our number of reviews that are making fun of my breathing habits to the to the less <laughs> to make it lesser <laughs> than what they are right oh, now. Brother, that's funny. No, yeah, for sure. We definitely appreciate everyone listening. We, uh, I, I personally didn't think that we would make it this far. I thought that, uh, hell, I didn't even think we'd get it off the ground when I'm like, Hey, let's do a podcast. And you're like, yeah, that's a good idea. I guess we can do that. And then it took us like a week and a half to get that first one. Cause our schedule never matched up. I'm like, Oh cool. We're going to do two of these and then mm-hmm. we're going to forget about it. So yeah, no, I'm glad I'm really happy. I'm definitely glad I'm happy with where it ended up and, uh, I'm sure We'll probably talk and discuss. We'll, the next one will probably be a couple of weeks from now, unless something else major happens. Um, maybe the draft lottery. Draft lottery is April twenty eighth, so maybe two weeks from now we'll talk. Uh, that'll probably be a good date to probably aim for. Um, well, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for if you've listened from the beginning. We appreciate you making it all the way through the season with us, and hopefully. Uh, we can have uh, still be talking about Stars playoff hockey at this time when we are podcasting next year. Everyone have a good week. Everyone-